Switching mediation providers might seem like a pain in the ass, but it doesn't have to be. If you're thinking of making the transition from Mopub to IronSource, we've got you covered. First, we've created a dedicated tool that removes the manual work when migrating to IronSource mediation. Second, we'll be holding workshops with IronSource experts where you can have all your migration needs taken care of. And if you want to do it yourself, we also have technical documentation for migrating to IronSource mediation in our Knowledge Center. To learn more about these initiatives and begin monetizing with IronSource today, head to www.is.com forward slash migrate. That's www.is.com forward slash migrate. Do you have the tools to turn your insights into action? Let's be honest, not all marketing activities are created equal. AppSlyer's analytics suite simplifies its complex data and gives you a unified view of campaign performance so you can make better, faster marketing choices at every stage of the customer journey. The goal is to create exceptional experiences that keep customers engaged. To succeed, you need to meet your customers where they are. AppSlyer's customer experience and engagement suite, powered by a reliable deep linking engine, lets you create personalized journeys that increase conversion and return on every experience. In addition, AppSlyer is going to keep your budget safe from mobile ad fraud. Bots and click farms aren't going to generate revenue for you. That's why you need a comprehensive fraud protection solution to make sure you're investing in the right channels and only measuring and paying for real actions. Are you ready to start making good choices? Great. Go to AppSlyer.com and get yourself an attribution partner you deserve. This podcast is brought to you by Google for Games. It takes more than a collection of tools to help you bring your gaming vision to life. With cross-platform solutions that give you access to billions of potential players around the world, Google is your partner to create great games, connect with players, and scale your business. Visit g.co slash Google for Games, or go to the link in the podcast description below. And if you ask me, Google for Games is the destination to learn more about game solutions and latest research and insights from Google's gaming teams to help you achieve your goals. If you're not driving or working out while listening to this podcast, I really suggest you fire up that browser and check out Google for Games. All right, welcome to Twig 183. Uh, this week, we're going to be talking about what? Um, App Lovin'? And we're talking about uh, brain trusts, uh, a good article by, by Yoakum. Uh, and Ethan, what are you covering? Ubisoft. Uh, Ubisoft? Dude, without, without Miska, Sounds dude, this like shit fun. all falls apart, dude. Like, you know, what are we doing here? No. All right, let's, let's just get the energy up. Let's talk about video games. Let's talk about crazy Okay, <laughs> so what's, what, what's the updates first? Like, personally, let's, let's hear about Eric's basketball stories. What's going on in your life? Ah. We, we, we went to a tournament in Portland and uh, we lost our first game to the, to the best team that was up there. And unfortunately, because we lost that game by two points, we got out of the championships bracket. And so I, it's not the fact that I care necessarily about winning all the time and I'm like one of those dads. I am one of those dads. Like, there's no doubt. But what sucked is that we spent all this money to go up to Portland and right. we got stuck in the loser's bracket and we should have been in a different bracket. They just messed up in terms of where the teams were. So shit happens, you know? Um, but uh, my, my son played really well. So I, I guess I shouldn't care all that much. Uh, otherwise, 
I, I think I got sick. Hopefully, I freaking don't have COVID. I can't imagine that I have COVID since I got Omicron, whatever the thing was. Um, but I am a little bit sick, so I'm a little bit more ornery this morning. Uh, that's about it. I got nothing, dude. I'm building a deck. That's my big thing. So I probably have some construction noises out back, but I'm excited for that. Big money into building a nice big deck for my big backyard. So at least for Canada, that's nice. Well, in some parts of the year. How about you, Ethan? How's the crypto <laughs> Ragnarok going for you? Uh, it's, I mean, it's going fine for me. Uh, we recorded uh, all about uh, explaining the Terra ecosystem collapse uh, yesterday. So that, that'll be up soon. Oh, I want to hear this. What? I want to hear the dance. I want to hear the dance about like, oh, yeah, this is okay. It's fine. Just no, it's normal. not. I mean, it, this is like a normal thing of growing, you know, some new industry, you know, like it, think it, something goes to zero. It right? is that capitalism. Tied to the dollar. I like th things are supposed to fail in capitalism and they, you know, made a bad algorithm and it failed and a lot of paper losses disappeared and you can listen all about it. In yeah, and, and then I'm... <laughs> And I'm going to talk about Unity, in which they lost like $30 billion worth of valuation in six months. So I guess, yeah, yeah. there's that too. All right. Uh, updates. Uh, the first, there was not that much news this week, honestly. I thought it was kind of like light. But the big news is that Bethesda freaking delays both their big games for, for the holiday. Primarily Starfield, but Red, Redfall, I think, was anticipated to some degree. Um, and I'm freaking sad. You know, I'm, I'm disappointed. Like, I, I, you know, like, this is the only game I really cared about this year, you know. And they're supposedly delayed till the first half of next year, so it's not, like, you know, crazy. But I swear, the guy at, uh, I forgot his name, but the guy at Bethesda basically said 11-11-11, right? 11-11-22, sorry. Um, and he put that line in the sand like a year and a half ago. Have the we, fact that they're delaying it. Have we seen anything out of Starfield other than some environment walk th fly-throughs? Like not really. This no. game isn't coming out in the first half of 2023. Eh, <laughs> they kind of did this with other games that they've done before, but you're right. I don't know, dude. I'm I'm disappointed. Um, but I guess for me, it questions the real question I have is like, what does this really mean for subscriptions? Right? Like when you have absolutely no games or nothing coming, no content coming out for an inscription for an entire year, this doesn't feel right to me. Like you have to deliver the goods, you know, like one of the guys at, at Xbox said that they're going to be able. To, the, their ideal was to release a, a new game every quarter or something. But this is bullshit, right? There's no games this year, and I, 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 I don't know how you can actually continue to to build on a, on a subscription without any fucking content. You know, it's like annoying, right? Um, and I, I like to get your thoughts here, Adam. Like, can you maintain the subscription without it? Like. Are people just going to basically buy the subscription and forget it and just part of cost of running Xbox? Um, and, you know, how many are going to stick around without content? Um, so I don't know. I'm, I'm a little bit peeved. You know, I feel a little bit ripped off that I bought the subscription and I'm getting nothing this year. Absolutely nothing. Now, last year was OK, right? I mean, you got Halo, you got Forza. Yeah. What do you think, Adam? Yeah, I agree. Like my intuition here says that that people got to be able to take a hard look at their subscriptions and say like is this really worth it and uh, i'm assuming when you're talking like that quarterly release that's a that's a tentpole title right that's a halo yeah, that's a forza right. that's a first party big thing that's not just like nobody saves the world you know little indie tunic thing 
happening every quarter, right? They have lots of those little things, but the actual stuff that's going to move the subs, at least from what we've seen from where they had the biggest growth, was those big first party games. Um, so I'd love to see the data on this. Like, I, I think, like, does somebody do any sort of estimations for subscriber bases and subscriber churn? I think we've seen graphs um, from that. I think that maybe Nick Nielsen does them or something. Um, just because I'd love to see it because my assumption is that, yeah, churn for this year is going to be higher. Um, yeah, I, I don't see a situation. I, you know, where, I feel like I got to vote the with my dollar. I, I might actually cancel the subscription because I, I think that this is kind of bullshit. Yeah, I kind of, I mean, in if I think about video streaming, like I'll sign up to Hulu for a month to watch one movie or one series and then cancel it. Now, now that we're in a world of so much choice, I have, I manage, I basically turn things on and off when there's content I want. And I think about, I mean, I personally think about the Xbox subscription the same way, since you can get stuff on the cloud and on PC, you don't actually have to own an Xbox. So I, I, think that like there'll be a month or two this year where I subscribe to Xbox so I can play one game and then that you know ten dollars later I'm done um and as a consumer I I like that that option's there um yeah you know what my, you, but I I just want yeah. I just want to see that yeah. in the data right like I, I know from things like Disney plus right they launched Mandalorian and that's like the one big thing that they had that year they had to kind of like fill in those gaps with as many Marvel shows in between they had to have that regular cadence to keep that subscription base up right um and it's impressive because they've got enough tent poles with game pass you've got a you've got a desert right now since fall and it doesn't look like it's going to get solved even any time this year so you must be seeing churn this year i would be very surprised if they're hitting their numbers and i know that in their last fiscal they talked that it was already low and that was after the tent poles that they already had had launched so I don't know what their expectations I, are this year, but I'm assuming my my, my gut when when the analysis comes out on this sort of thing, and actually I got a request to figure this out um, from uh, Candace at uh, Nvidia, but um, my gut tells me that these core subscriptions like gaming probably don't churn all that much, right? That they're just in it, they're in the ecosystem, and it's just their hobby, and they don't care, and so they're not going to be going in and out the way. Maybe others, but maybe it's the opposite. I, you know, I don't know. Actually, now I, 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 I got to think about it a little bit. The, I, I just, yeah. I want to see the data, right? Like, I agree. There should be a baseline of people that just do not leave, right? But then how many of these kind of intermediate people and how long does it take before you start chipping away? Yeah, I mean, core the only comp right? that I know about is um, the World of Warcraft comp, but it's, it, it's a little bit different where they get this huge re reboot, every expansion in which they bring back a gajillion people, right? And then... They basically get 5% churn every month, right? After the expansion to get to another base level, which it flattens out and then it grows again, right? And 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 the, and the, and, the, and the curve is all the way down as far as I understand it. So it's something like that, right? But th these subscriptions are different because they're coming out with content all the time. Anyway, all right, we will, we will see if we can sort this out. What's the next update? Oh, Mr. Seifert, go, Ethan. Hey, who's his apex? Oh, sorry. Yeah, we're talking about Apex Mobile. Man, this is terrible. Okay, Apex launched uh, yesterday, and I have to admit, I mean, I, I we said this before. The game is beautiful, right? It's really, really well done. Like, there's no doubt that they executed on the vision of what this game could be on mobile. And I, you know, my best to EA and Apex and Giovanni Ducati. God damn it, he has the coolest freaking name ever, right? But he has busted his ass to get this game out. And with all the features that it has and all the monetization that it has, 
I still think there's going to be challenges here with scaling the downloads and also scaling monetization, but it is a beautifully fully featured game. You know, I played an entire match and these two guys just completely carried me. Like I had like two kills and they had like 12 each, uh, but we won. And uh, I, it's impressive. It's impressive. They brought Apex to mobile successfully, but uh, you know, we'll see how it does. I wish them the best. All right, I'll do. Uh, uh, I've got a couple updates. I'll do quickly. It it w- did feel kind of like a slow news week, and you can tell by the quality of the stories I'm I'm starting with. Uh, f- for this first one, I just can't believe I'm even reporting on it. So, uh, <laughs> Eric Seifert launches ten million dollar investment fund supported by Supercell and Huge Games. Uh, so, joking aside, uh, congratulations to our co-host who is not here on raising this ten million dollar investment fund. Uh, backing of 38 different investors, including Supercell and Game Jam's Christian Calderon. Uh, really look forward to seeing what sort of crazy mobile ad tech plays you invest in over the coming months and years. Um, my next story, again, this one is breaking news, actually. This came came out uh, uh, as I was putting my updates together. Uh, Network Studios secures $46 million for Web3 games. Uh, so uh, that's some log rolling because obviously Network Studios is where I am. I'm uh, the EP on Legendary Heroes Unchained, which is one of our two Web3 games. So the fa- uh, funding round was led by Griffin Gaming Partners, including uh, participation from Kleiner, Galaxy Interactive, and KIP, among others. Uh, we've got two uh, uh, big Web3 games you can see on the website, uh, Legendary Heroes Unchained, which is a new uh, follow-up. Uh, to our hit legendary game of heroes as well as uh, triumph so that was cool to see that news uh, come out today uh, and then uh, I'm I'm really big into anime games so um, Zenless Zone Zero is a hip urban RPG from the creators of Genshin Impact did you guys see the trailer on this one no yeah. uh, it no, looks awesome so it's the new game from uh, Mihoyo the, the makers of Genshin Impact and I think the other one's like Honkai Impact Third. It's a beat 'em up. It's got great, colorful anime character designs. Uh, it looks the trailer's got that really cool kind of persona uh, style to it. And uh, I, you know, they're they're doing a survey to sign up on their website. Uh, I signed up, and the survey asks about Astral Chain, Bayonetta, Devil May Cry, all games that I love. And uh, I, I'm kind of predicting a next giant world-crushing live service anime-style game from uh, Mihoya with uh, Zenless Zone Zero. It just looks mm. awesome. It's like a fighting game, though, right? Like Yeah, and, and Honkai, right? Honkai was a fighting game. It was like a little arena um, uh, fights. Uh, this one I'm hoping has more a much bigger either open world mm. like Genshin or more live ops to it. But. Oh, I see. Yeah, I, 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 I don't know how you design a uh, one-on-one fighting game with uh, <laughs> as a service, but if they figure that out, man, that that's neat, amazing. All right, moving on. Yeah, and uh, one, uh, again in the anime games uh, category in the last week, Dislight launched globally on iOS and Android. Uh, that's the new game from Lilith. Uh, for my money, one of the top uh, free-to-play game makers in the world. Uh, the company behind AFK Arena and Rise of Kingdoms. And uh, Dislight actually also has that colorful urban RPG style. I think there's a a music element to the game as well. I, I haven't played it yet, but uh, 
It's been a top five download on the iOS US uh, since its launch. It looks really cool, got a unique style, and this company is masters of gotcha and live ops. So uh, this this looks like another winner on their hands. Fall Guys is going free to play uh, on all platforms. That's my one update. Um, so it was a big shout out to Mediatonic. Um, so this comes out in late June. It's going to be cross-platform for PC console um, and also is using Epic Games uh, shiny uh, cross-progression technology so they can share saves across it. No mobile yet. Love to see it. But I think Tim Sweeney's just too bitter. <laughs> <laughs> Not going to let Tim Mediatonic do it. it. It'll come to um, mobile. I expect that they're going to... Uh, Xbox cloud streaming. Via and Yeah, Xbox cloud streaming. Yeah. Uh, but I, either way, uh, I expected a surge of players to come into this game, which already had an impressive launch as a premium title back in fall 2020. Uh, and also, it's really great to see that the game that you know was a, a bit of a flash in the pan at the time, uh, they've really, really worked hard at kind of maintaining a seasonal cadence of content and retaining that core audience. Let's get into yeah, the real no, news. No, but the, the, App, let's love it. on Fall Guys. Just correct me if I'm wrong. It, it, this was a big game on Steam, right? That's where it like was predominantly successful. Also console. I think it came out as yeah. a free game. I think it launched on PlayStation as a free game for PS Plus, and that okay. also drove a yeah. lot of installs. Yeah, because people people were talking that they may take it off Steam and just keep it on Epic, which is interesting. Um, as you know, because because <laughs> it's now owned by Epic, right? So anyway, that'll be interesting to see if they do that um, and move it over. All right, the big reporting app loving. So. Uh, this is my last earnings update because I got to keep this stuff separate. Um, but in, uh, I swear in my career of covering publicly traded names, I have never seen a company dance as well as app Lovin did. I mean, they were masterful, masterful. They put on a show for the ages and rewarded the stock was up like 35% after the print, um, which is absolutely crazy. So in essence, they reduced their, <laughs> they reduced their estimates for gaming by 200 million. So they reduced their overall guidance by 200 million and bought revenue for their apps platform in order for retention for their um, ad mob, whatever they got from Twitter, right? And then used non-gapping counting standards to back out the costs of this guaranteed revenue as publisher bonuses and co or quote unquote contra revenue. And if that doesn't make sense to you, you're not alone, right? <laughs> it doesn't make any sense. It's all within the rules of gap and non-gap accounting. I'm not suggesting any otherwise, but it is genius, absolute genius, right? And um, and the result, the stock was up like, I think around 40% after the earnings, even though they guided down revenue overall by 200 million, uh, they did raise guidance for <laughs> profitability. But, but to put the math in perspective, being up 40%, when your stock is down 70% before earnings, you're still down 60% year to date, even though the stock is up 40. It's just a math thing. If you go down 70%, you need to be up 250% to get to back where you were, right? So just to be clear, it's just math, right? Um, the second thing, which was even more remarkable, was that they kiboshed the idea of Content Fortress completely, right? They basically mm. say they want to sell their gaming division. They don't want it anymore. They basically said games business is not as profitable relative to the app's platform. And they're, they're, they're going to be breaking out that P&L in Q2 to illustrate that going forward, right? Which is another amazing dance. I mean, this is like crazy. I mean, absolutely crazy, They've right? Got... Because 
what they've got machine zone and then isn't lion studios they're hyper casual right yeah and then they have uh what the uh, cat all the casual stuff primarily mm-hmm. the puzzle stuff and all that other stuff so I, I wish eric was here to comment on this but it seems actually ridiculous on its surface because they spent the entire three-year history of this company suggesting that the games business was critical to build their ad- ads business, right? This was, the, this was their pitch, right? The content fortress nonsense, right? And so, <laughs> and, and it was their major competitive advantage. And, and like, what's changed over the last six months? Let me tell you what's changed over the last six months. I-D-F-A, right? And more importantly, if app-loving can't profitably grow their games business, how do they expect their publishing partners to grow their games business right. profitably? Right. I mean, they have a huge advantage of, 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 of leveraging their platform and growing these games like at a much lower cost. Right. And so what does that mean for the efficacy of their own UA platform? And if they can't figure out how to make it more profitable, it's 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 it's, it's absolutely nuts that this is like kind of just went. This is OK. This is fine. Let's just change the strategy overnight in one quarter. Right. So. And of course, oh, they finally, you know, they 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 continue to downplay fingerprinting removal, right? They're, they they didn't talk about it at all. It was asked in the question afterwards, and they got this canned response: is that market is dynamic, and there'll be winners and losers, you know, based on who can adjust the fastest, blah 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 blah, blah you know, like the whole lip service bullshit, right? So I'm kind of of two minds here, right? With this, honestly, anyone that can reduce revenue guidance by 200 million and play some shell game with guaranteed revenue without incurring costs is a force to be reckoned with. Right. The fact that these guys are brilliant. Right. And, and if anyone can navigate these choppy waters, it's the KKR guys. Right. On the other hand, it feels like the music is going to stop very soon. And there are no chairs left. Right. The fingerprinting, if, if fingerprinting is stopped, their competitive advantage is gone. Right. And, 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 the, and their position in the marketplace will be significantly reduced. And their apps platform growth and profitability will, will be in jeopardy. And they can dance all they want, but I'm not sure they way they have a way of stopping this eventuality, you know, a, as we go forward, right? Um, so I continually be concerned about Iron Source, App Lovin, and Unity. I, I mean, obviously the stocks are just on their ass right now, so it's like it's a tougher call now that that, that things will get worse. But if 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 fingerprinting is removed, and and you know that that ability for them goes away, again they they're not. They, they will not have a competitive advantage. Um, but the biggest issue, bigger issue here that I wanted to kind of briefly talk about, because <laughs> I got a lot of feedback. Actually, even my clients were like, holy crap, you were super harsh with Unity last week um, and Iron Source and Zynga for that matter. And after I listened to it, I guess I was a little bit. But um, I, I really do think these companies are doing the best they can in a really tough situation. You know, when your primary platform holder, Apple, arbitrarily changes the rules in the playing field, at the exact same time for your entire business, right? And for no real good reason, as we've talked about many times in this in this podcast, they're going to be casualties, right? These companies are stuck holding the bag and scrambling for alternatives. And some do a great job, like AppLovin, and others are just not as good at dancing. I think like Iron Source, for instance, and certainly Unity in this last earnings call. Um, and, and, and Zynga, I think, did a reasonably good job of dancing. You know, but the bigger issue here is that these ad tech companies and companies like Roblox, the valuations were ridiculous. They were ridiculous on just by almost every measure, right? And this is a big issue about market dynamics and, and it's a bit out of scope with this podcast. But in short, 
using Unity as an example, Unity was never worth $140 a share. $43 billion for a company with $1.4 billion in revenue losing hundreds of millions of dollars a year. This is like a 37, almost a 40 times revenue multiple on the assumption that they'd be able to grow 30 to 40% revenue in perpetuity, right? You compare that to something like EA, which at its peak was trading at 5.6 times revenue with 34% margin, so super profitable, but they're only growing at 5 to 10%. Like that difference is just Herculean, right? Six times versus 40 times. Ridiculous, like absolutely ridiculous. So my job is to point out, point out the fundamentals, right? The fundamentals never made sense because Unity, there's no way they can maintain these growth rates and justify these valuations. But this is the nature of the stock market. And while I scream until I'm blue in the face about this, speculators slash investors are bidding up these stocks, right? And, and, these, and, the, and the job of these companies is to maximize shareholder value. And, and, and JR did that, right? By pitching this narrative, pushing these narratives to investors that want to believe that these are SaaS businesses that can grow it indefinitely, right? And again, this is the nature of the stock market. There's booms and busts. It's happened three times in my career, you know, first in 2000 when I was at EA, then in 2008, and now in 2022. And it's likely going to happen again, right? These companies are, <laughs> there's going to be a, a reckoning for these crazy artificially high valuations um, that, that in my mind. Um, but I don't think it's over because we really haven't seen the fundamentals flip yet, right? This correction is more of a market correction. So if indeed these growth rates start to deteriorate, which they are a little bit already, honestly, um, but but it, it'll be another reckoning for these things and they have room to go. And so like, if you look at Unity, for instance, their market cap was 50 billion at, at peak, right? They are 11, right? They've lost $40 billion worth of value, right? For both shareholders as well as employees. It's fucking insane, okay? But they're still trading at eight times revenue, right? Mm -hmm. Versus EA, which is trading at five, right? So which companies actually has more staying power, you know, in this environment? Who knows? We'll see, right? We'll see. So anyway, that's it. Uh, my my quick rant on the markets. Um, I'm sure I'm going to get a little bit of flack from folks, but you know that's the way I see it. Any questions? What do you think this does for the the um, M and A market for game studios? Because now you've got AppLovin who are basically saying that they're they're going to be taking offers for their game studios. Does this mean now that that the embracers, the EG7s of the world, still fronts now have a more open market? Well, what it means is that the, the, the value of these companies go away, right? Like, I mean, in essence, yeah. they're basically saying that it's not worth it to own mobile game companies, yeah. right? And so well, that should give everyone a pause. But, and it's actually, it's a testimony to the genius. I hate to use the word genius, but the genius of, of, of Glue right? And, and, and Zynga to sell when they did, right? They sell the, the peak, right? That, that, yeah, like I if, completely agree. Imagine if they were trying to sell now, right? Imagine what Zynga's yep. stock would be if they were standalone right now, right? Where, you know, like it, it would be half, half, right? But, but this, this feels like the right time for the still front embracer. To, to go at it, right, is to say, look, let's let's try to yeah. figure out I mean, to grab these, these right, right. Okay, we think, think that machines they're found. appreciated versus when they actually acquired them, which was when they machines were absolutely right. Like now, now they're going to have to go deep deep into debt to acquire these assets. But like now is the time to yeah. Machines zone seems like a natural fit Especially for Stillfront and its catalog of 
4x titles that it just live operates forever like no you know. yeah and actually this yeah this acquisition would be would be really good for them not sorry not the machine zone stuff that that's a terrible business i don't think that business is doing well at all but the the rest of their mobile business might be might the be high, but the rest of their mobile bit isn't the rest of their mobile business hyper casual games from well, line there no no there's yeah. also casual games sorry okay. i don't know why i'm blanking on all the names right now but they have like read it okay like yeah, right. dimension and others yeah. so like those are really really good games right um but um but i guess to your point adam right like they're, they're still front in theory should get these things at a discount right uh because of of the nature the the, the correction and market etc the problem is the exact same thing i was trying to explain like a couple podcasts ago is that the, the 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 private company valuations haven't gotten redone yet, right? They haven't done down rounds or or whatever to 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 uh, um, uh, sorry to adjust to the new market conditions, right? So these guys still are expecting these valuations that were based on raising money at the peak of of, mm -hmm. of valuations. So it it doesn't correct that fast, right? Um, but it will, right? Ultimately, like people will start to realize. Um, but you're right. Stillfront might be in a better shape to pick up some better assets, in theory, anyway. Um, but I think they're yeah versus what, what we had for the last few years, which is these like absolute nosebleed valuations yeah, right, from single right. studios. Yeah, really. Lou, uh, two point two billion dollars. Are we out of your mind? Great for them. Great for Glue, right? It, for picking that up. Um, but it does mean that those who acquired them are left with that bill. Sorry for interrupting this podcast, but. I got an important message. It's about increasing your game's revenues. I bet your mobile games is ready to find new untapped audience and a juicy 40% revenue boost. Well, you can achieve global reach and acquire new players with local payment methods and exclusive content and with huge savings on platform fees. After recent events allowing developers to sell virtual items and currencies directly to players with a substantial savings on transaction fees, Exola launch web shop for mobile games. This timely solution helps you unlock global potential and grow your mobile games beyond the app store and unite your player community across all devices. Plus, it can also improve discoverability and boost player retention. If you're ready to increase revenue, save on fees and regain control over distribution, Exola web shop for mobile games can help you succeed. Visit exola.pro slash D-O-F, or go to the link in this podcast's description. Excited about NFTs in the metaverse? Ready to be part of the future of gaming? Recur is looking for talented producers, product managers, game designers, economy designers, and engineers. Recur is building branded NFT collectibles and games with top IP, including College Sports, Paramount, Star Trek, Nickelodeon, Sanrio, and more, using its best-in-the-industry technology platform. Recur's platform streamlines the NFT collecting experience. No crypto or third-party wallets required. Simply buy an NFT with your credit card or Apple Pay. And Recur's robust gamification system creates infinite collecting and gameplay possibilities from which to make compelling play and earn experiences. Recur is backed by some of the biggest names in crypto and NFTs, including billionaire Stephen Cohn, Gary Vee, and Gemini, among others. Join us now and get ready to ride a rocket ship. Let's fucking go. At the end of the day, um, central bank monetary policy really plays a big impact <laughs> on everything in the world, it feels like, right? Like, 
Yeah, doesn't can't fight the Fed before before you go veering off into yeah. Web three and crypto. Oh no, no. <laughs> Let, let's move on to the next article. No, see, that's that's funny. So, sorry, okay. just just to be clear, like Ethan's totally right, right? But that's where I do, I don't want to go down that path because then we could be here hours talking about <laughs> stock market stuff, and I, I don't. Well, I just want to talk about specific companies' valuations and why. Right. I'm going, I get annoyed and frustrated because to be honest, I've been pitching this idea since IDFA happened last mm-hmm. year, right? I've been saying that all these companies are screwed, right? Because their valuations are ridiculous and they're, they have all these headwinds, right? right. And so it's like, I'm, I was right, but I wasn't, I, I want to be clear with people. I wasn't right when the stock was going from freaking 50 to 140, right? Mm-hmm. Like the thing was going hyperbolic, right? And I looked like an idiot. Okay. I looked like an idiot. Okay. And then finally I'm, proven right but it's up to these these my clients and these investors to figure out the timing right, right. it's the hardest part right and so like that's that that's the real challenge but like as a fundamental analyst i have a luxury of basically just saying like this is stupid right but that doesn't mean i'm right about the stock market you know so anyway all right moving on okay so um yeah it was a, a slow news week but um i i wanted to shift towards we got a lot of positive feedback uh, yoko macram did a great uh, blog post on brain trusts, which I think is another kind of concept that sounded amazing in executive presentations, uh, but has really, mm-hmm. really um, struggled to gain traction and, and actually create a positive working environment in my perspective. Um, so if you aren't familiar with the concept of brain trusts, it's a concept that's coined from the book Creative Inc., uh, a book by Ed Catmull, who's co-founder of Pixar. The idea is that they needed a safe space that for writers and creatives uh, where they could basically ask for critique of their latest film and kind of help them guide towards the, the, the right outcome. And the, a good story from that book was um, the writing of Inside Out, um, the Pixar movie, where the lead writer struggled for years to really figure out that story. But through those brain trusts, they, they had the space where they constantly got that candid feedback they needed, uh, focused on the right problems, iterated, and eventually became the success that we know. Um, and since that book came out, I think all executives read it in gaming and thought that would be a great idea to implement it into their own company. Uh, except they took the the idea completely out of context and I think um, ended up turning it into something that doesn't work. Key so- concept of what makes uh, Breaches work was that they had this kind of group of people, group of creatives that had the trust and respect and, and were free to give candid feedback to all members, right? Because Pixar was a, say, hybrid, high talent density company. Um, and that talent was very much focused around this, the type of content they created, veteran storytellers, right? These were all veterans. They'd also worked on multiple movies together and really had earned each other's trust. So the brain trusts as a design didn't have any authority that people giving feedback couldn't force that creator to change how they wrote. But because of that level of trust and that high talent density, they rarely just ignored the feedback um, and actually acted on it. And I think the the big term that's being used right now is it created a zone of psychological safety, right? Where uh, if you've read the Game Outcomes Project on Gama Sutra or Google's research into what the best signals are for best teams, um, this trait is absolutely number one, right? A space where people can be absolutely candid about feedback and they do not feel like their their career, their intelligence is at stake, that they feel like they can take the, these um this brutally honest feedback. Uh, so King attempted to implement brain trusts and actually spoke at GDC about it. Uh, Yoakam actually reported that brain trusts for King, for technology and art were absolutely fine, but for des- design and pro- uh, product, it was very political. 
and I would echo this from my experience from, from things like Wuga and other publishers, uh, brain trust for products inevitably included executives, included heads of studios, included game leads from other projects. And it just meant that now these meetings were being treated like green lights. Like it became a political meeting where it was all about which projects were getting the right resources and were incentivizing teams to basically become sales pitchmen, right? Like trying to hide the faults in their games rather than actually seeking support and being fully transparent, trying to identify the issues. So this really was no longer a safe space. It was just an executive hoop. It was just a green light. And I think that completely undercuts the value of brain trust. Also, especially at companies where they were reaching outside their core competency, where they were struggling to find people who were really qualified or had the time to be on these brain trusts, right? Like in Pixar, every brain trust would include the reading of an excerpt from that film or that story, a previewing a storyboard. Basically, everyone have, would have the necessary context to give appropriate feedback because that's just the nature of their linear storytelling. But with games, yeah. in order to give appropriate feedback on a game, you have to play that game for hours. You have to play competitor titles for hours, right? And you need to have a strong understanding of what the audience is that you're actually going after. What's the business model? And it, it's like give me giving feedback to social casino titles. Like I would be, it would be stupid. I would give just surface level feedback. It would be useless. And and I think that's the, really it. Like, go ahead. Good. Uh, one of the other things that is um, how uh, comparatively little work you need to give a fair evaluation of something from a film. Like, I could, and and how few create, like how few um, people are involved in the creative direction, right? Like, I could write a scene today, a four page scene, and have one storyboard and show it to you guys and you could give me a uh, good good enough story feedback on that and that might be one day of work and i'm sure in these brain trusts they were doing a lot more but like if i wanted adam you to evaluate uh, my pvp event harness design like uh how how much time investment and energy do i have like is it fully playable? If so, are like my psychological safety when I'm showing you something that's like four months of 20 people working on it. Um, it's really, I know for myself, I, I get very defensive, like to bring something, put that much investment in something and then open it up for like full critique is, is quite hard. And it takes a lot more investment of a lot more people's time. Um, and then if I did the equivalent thing of like, writing a one pager and showing you one wireframe, like you're just not going to be able to give as high of qual as meaningful of feedback on that feature design. Um, as if I, it was after, you know, a, an in client prototype of it. So Absolutely. It's really, right? it's like, a really the amount hard of times that I've seen these, these like, translate. Yep, yep. But the amount of times I've done these like internal feedback rounds for a yeah. game, right. Then you get, cause you want to open it up to everybody and, and hear the feedback. Then you get a whole bunch of this feedback from people that have never worked on the genre that you're working on, right? Don't, mm -hmm. or are pushing you in a direction that as a product lead, you're looking at it being like that, that's pushing me more towards like a whole different pitch, a whole different thing, a whole different uh, hypothesis, right? It becomes really, really tough for, for those people to cut through the feedback versus if you had a brain trust of people that were really subject matter experts and were given enough time 
um, and financial incentive to make sure that they're actually playing your game, playing those competitive games and give you qualified feedback, that becomes a significant easier. But it, 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 with these these structures, it's always been a, been a struggle. I've always seen situations where brain trusts get, um, people go on them where the presenters don't feel safe. It just becomes a sales pitch, right? Or critics are not being candid, right? They're just being super supportive, slapping on the back because it's just, they, they have no financial incentive in the, in the, the game. And also that the critics don't necessarily have the right experience or time to prepare. So they end up giving very surface level feedback. The amount of time I've been in a brain trust and they're giving notes on UI, UX and onboarding mm-hmm. funnels. And you're like, we're trying to launch this game. I'm, I'm asking for, do you think this game can actually scale in live operations? Right? That's a completely different question. Yeah. Um, but yeah, th- this article by Yoakum, I think was um, well-timed. It's a, it's a big discussion. I've just seen this structure uh while well-intentioned fall down at so many companies yeah it's really hard to translate it to game development because from what i remember from when i uh listened to the audiobook that was of course recommended to me by an executive because all the executives were listening to it like um the experience of um designing a game or like built uh, is so different than scripting and storyboarding a movie and like it hasn't been since i worked in casual games that could literally be developed in three to four months based off a document that i've ever had the job of actually sitting in a room and like figuring out the whole game and then people say yes to a document and then it gets made right so the amount it it, it's just it's a completely different creative process and i think um I I don't know of game studios that are that that treat a pre-production in a way where someone could say, "Hey, I'm going to sit in a room for three to four months, and I'm going to come back to you, and I'm going to pitch you a bunch of spreadsheets and and wireframes uh, to explain what this new live service game is going to be." Like, I think it's a much di- that that is that hasn't been my experience of building live service games. Um, so the the strategy needs to be adapted for that production <clears throat> process. All right, this is way out of my uh, <laughs> my lane. So let's move on. <laughs> Eric doesn't give a shit. <laughs> I'm, getting, I'm getting very bored. Yeah. Talk some trash about the French. Sure. Well, okay. So um, the article, this was from uh, Pocket Gamer. Ubisoft to bet on mobile and free to play as annual sales fall. So Ubisoft aims to expand its reach in mobile and free to play multi-platform titles following a 4% decline in sales reaching 2.1 billion euros, according to its full year 2021-2022 earnings report. And then a quote from uh, CEO, uh, anybody know how to pronounce his name properly? Just Eve. Eve. Eve Eve Guimont, right? We have ambitious plans to grow our biggest franchises with notably four promising mobile games under development and to expand our overall portfolio with new IPs and massive entertainment license brand. So I wanted just to talk out loud and, and think about their their mobile IPs. We know they're bringing Rainbow Six Siege, uh, which based on the success we've seen of Call of Duty um, and Fortnite uh, and the undoubted success Apex is about to have on mobile, uh, Rainbow Six Siege being such a um, successful live ops title. Uh, I think it's on its sixth year, sixth season or so. Um it actually surprises me it took this long to get Rainbow Six Siege on mobile. Um, and 
things I've seen out of Ubisoft, like they're different, like Tom Clancy. I feel like they had a Tom Clancy character MOBA, which seemed like a really bad product market fit and the Tom Clancy sniper game. So, okay, so here's here's what I wanted to think about and and really bounce off Adam and see how insane this idea is. Like, I I think a lot about available materials when designing new games and like Ubisoft has worlds. They have like the art assets for full worlds that they've built. Um, you know, Assassin's Creed launching a whole new world every year, Far Cry. Um, like, and they have gr- good success with live operating these different titles. So when I think about something like Genshin and how that's conquered the world with something that takes like thousands of developers uh, to build, and I think, oh man, I, I could never build that. Like I have to scope my game appropriately to my resources, I'm not even going to try and compete with Genshin. Um, so part of me thinks like, is the could the path to success for Ubisoft be to take Assassin's Creed Rogue, right, uh, or Black Flag, like one of these fully built worlds where all the models exist and the characters exist and the animations exist. And I know that it's a different game engine and it would not be simple. But could you take? the stuff that exists to bootstrap a live ops uh, free-to-play game just by saying, okay, we're going to set it in this city we've already built. And this is going to give us, you know, the starting point uh, for our Assassin's Creed free-to-play mobile game or our Far Cry free-to-play game. Um, so I think, like, my way of uh, uh, of asking in apples to apples, Adam, we've talked before about how much like, I love Shadow Ethan, of Mordor. Ethan, you're... Am I going insane? You're a developer. There's so many assumptions yeah. underlying you're a developer. that. Yeah. <laughs> you're, you're way you off. Work with teams, right? You work with engineers. You yeah. work with artists, right? Yeah. Like, how many how many good examples? How many good examples has there been in the market of somebody taking a bunch of art assets from a failed game or like a semi-successful game, moving business model, moving platform, and it seeing success on the other side? Um, well, that's, again, that's something I, like, I look at it and I think, why do people start making whole new art assets all over again? Like, I don't know. I've heard, I've heard this, I've heard this, I was, I don't know if it was from you. I heard this pitch before too. It's like, they build these absolutely massive worlds. Why not just take leverage them and reuse them in different yeah. platforms and different executions and build live ops around that. I've heard this thing before. And, and, and what Adam is saying is right. It's like, none of these guys know how to do that. Right. They, they, they're building their their one game. Like it's not like so the big assumption that you have that's completely off base is that all their teams know how to do live ops, right? And and build worlds that 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 cater towards live ops. And that couldn't be further from the truth, right? The only teams that actually do live ops well is Rainbow Six and For Honor, right? Those are the two games mm-hmm. that have actually been successful. Far Cry, uh um, sorry, Far Cry, Assassins. Uh, even even the division, the division was terrible in terms of live ops and support. It's like it's like it's like these skills don't exist within Ubisoft mm. except on these little pockets. So like and 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 I think the idea of trying to like build some metaverse around their IP is I think what you're suggesting. No, it's not I, within I, their DNA. No metaverse. <laughs> no metaverse. Well, I mean, okay, sorry. How I could say the it, I think the question I'm trying to ask, like if they're putting bets in three to four big mobile titles to change to put them back on a growth path like it has to be like 
you have to be thinking, how do we make a, an Assassin's Creed free-to-play game? No, and okay, so, all right, so but here's my like, quick they, take. They've already attempted that stuff, right? Go ahead, go ahead. Not really. Well, a little bit, a little <laughs> bit. All right, so okay, here's okay. my you, quick, you my quick take. Let me just finish this, and then Adam will be the more reasonable <laughs> right. person, right? Look, mobile strategy now, yeah. right? Why not do this eight years ago, right? Why are they focused on mobile now? The worst possible time to go into <laughs> mobile, right, ever, right? Now, the ship has sailed, right? There's right. so much competition in shooters now. It's like, instead of investing in mobile like eight years ago, you know what they've been doing? They built Steep twice, right? right. They built a racing game called The Crew twice. They built Avatar games twice. They built Starlink, a Toys to Life game that was three years when Toys to Life was over after the Toys to Life was fucking right. over, right? They built Ubisoft Is that a Starlink on your shelf. <laughs> oh, for Christ's sake. A collector's item, dude. It's probably worth a million dollars, right? Because uh, who gave a fuck, right? right. It, it, wait, 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 sorry. They bought the Battle Tag game. It was basically laser tag for Ubisoft. It's crazy, dude. Like, and then they built teams to build live action movies for Assassin's Creed and Ghost. Well, I don't know what the fuck they were doing. I, I can keep going. Like, there's like a gajillion like pet projects these guys have been building. Right. Why not do mobile? Why? Why? Why not? Why, why mobile? They, yeah. The only successful mobile game, and even that was a disaster, was South Park. Actually, it was a really good game. They just they didn't monetize it for other reasons. So. Basically, the strategy team in Paris needs to remove their head from their arse and get contemporary, right? You know, like, the only success they've really had is, like, Rainbow Six Siege, Division, and For Honor. And, and you know, that gives me some hope that they might know what they're doing. But at the end of the day, like, they just need to rethink how they go about greenlighting things and getting games that are contemporary, right? And going to mobile right now with, with teams from Ubisoft, I don't know if that even makes sense. If they were outsourcing to China or something, is that what they're doing? I can't remember, but that would make more sense. But trying to build something from the Rainbow Six team on mobile, they're out of their mind. They're out of their mind. That won't work. It won't work. I tell you 100%, it will not work because they don't have the expertise on yep. building these games. And so that's, that's my, I've been saying this for years now. I don't know why I keep having to repeat it, but that's exactly what's. I think anyway. So what you're Plus, saying is yeah. what I'm hearing is now is the wrong time to invest in mobile, but it's the right time to invest in blockchain because that is the no. good parody. <laughs> no. <laughs> Stop it. Stop. Okay. So <laughs> Ubisoft, Ubisoft's been doing these like tchotchke hey. mobile things for right. years. None of them were successful as Eric Mo mentioned. Most of them the were, thing was were maybe premium that South Park Clash Royale thingy. Yeah, yeah, there are a lot of premium. Yeah, they also did a, an Assassin's Creed character collection thing. They they tried to do this stuff. And so now when you're saying like, okay, let's go build, because if you look at the IPs that Ubisoft has, what stuff could actually translate to mobile? This is the same stuff we did when we talked about like uh, Blizzard going to mobile or Take-Two going to mobile. When you have a whole bunch of these action-adventure, single-player premium IPs, right? They are not a great translation to a free-to-play mobile product. The one thing you could point to right now is say, okay, now go build Genshin. And what I would say is like, okay, you realize how much that costs, right? So if you're telling me that you're going apeshit in terms of your focus and you're doing Web3, you're doing, um, what was the other thing they were talking about recently that, that they were going to start doing? Like you're on streaming, you're on, you're, you're building out these cloud, and then, then you're going to find a team and resource them probably at least $100 million mm -hmm. to get up front, right? Because that's what Genshin 
costs, probably double that given that you're not in China, you've never built this game before, right? And then you're going to have the company culture to be able to build a Genshin Impact style live operations product, right? Is that a thing? Can, can like that? That would have to go right. They would have to actually be able to have a team that has the AAA DNA and the uh, character collection CCRPG DNA and work perfectly in tandem to develop a two hundred million dollar bet and then spend two hundred million dollars a year in live operations and then hope that you're getting the same mm-hmm. type of revenue that Genshin Impact is getting, right? And like, can you reuse assets? Like, <laughs> fuck off. So- You've been, you've been in games long I'm, enough to realize that that is, that is absolute ape shit. That is just absolute ape shit. Maybe you can repurpose something. But like to, <laughs> the idea of being able to grab, copy, paste the world from a AAA game that's 10 years old, like Rogue, and then put that into mobile and then be able to, to rip apart that design and that open world so that it actually functions for a gotcha style right. dungeon economy like genshin so so my <laughs> my uh my my pitch for assassin's creed impact uh, did not pass the deconstructor of fun brain trust <laughs> no 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 no, yeah, you're, no. Well, guys so. i feel very psychologically <laughs> safe having this conversation in public <laughs> for other people's entertainment value uh but yeah so i don't know what i don't know what those other three big mobile titles so to bring it back like i don't know what those other three big mobile titles are unless they're uh that are gonna help uh uh put um ubisoft back on a growth track and and i kind of you know it really feels like assassin's creed is the thing that could break through in terms of brand recognition and i just don't know what the assassin's creed live ops game is and yeah i mean but don't worry, they got they got ketchup. Yeah, right. Exactly. Got, there's a whole division for that. <laughs> They've got this figured out. It's good. But like they have right. snapped They've up. They've got Hungry TV. Shark they World. They had a mobile strategy. They just yeah. They're, but they're not going to yeah. turn. The, the, it would be very hard to turn Assassin's Creed into a five hundred million dollar a year free to play game at this point. Yeah. yeah, I think Assassin's Creed from a design perspective just seems impossible. Like to leverage an open world, like story based action adventure game into a live ops model, on on console even like it's it's, it's just a, it, it, it's possible to build a free to play cross platform thing. It is a fucking massive bet, yeah. right? That would need the right talent, right, and a lot of focus. And that's what I've seen. And, and, and the problem with Ubisoft, and I don't want to keep retreading the same thing, is their culture is broken. Right. Like people are very upset. Their leadership has been decimated they're french and <laughs> they it's like it's it's like it's impossible to execute against all these different things like they need to retrench and start over right because they're so think, uh, one of the, i mean i mean <laughs> french law like like the amount of people that are yeah, you you, yeah. you, you I keep retreading it you're talking specifically about the french talent now yeah. but then it just comes across as you yeah. think all frenchmen are terrible game makers <laughs> you're not sophie you're on you're probably listening to this excellent game maker chris <laughs> chris likes you don't worry about right. that oh well uh all right I, hey by the way as as a, a a i i hope i'm not over um over promising we are gonna have laura potentially on next week right as a a special guest and hopefully a regular guest to change the change the vibe up a little bit 
um, and get some other perspectives. Uh, and uh, she's from Big Fish. What's her, Tarantino? What's her last name? Toronto. Yeah, Toronto. Right. She's awesome. Um, and so we're looking forward to having, uh, you know, different vibe. Let's do this. So she should be on next week. And then you can listen to Ethan talk about crypto all you want in the yeah. next podcast. Yeah. Well, just uh, uh, just a little tease. Last week in, in Twig, I talked about uh, it was the in-progress collapse of the Terra blockchain ecosystem. And uh, yesterday we, we record a new episode, so it should be up, I think, before this Twig. Um, how, all how about many, it. How about, all right, how many billions of dollars was lost, or was it hundreds of millions of was lost well, based upon this transaction? I mean, how much? It, the The question is, how much of it was true investment, and how much of it was paper investment, paper gains, uh, right? Uh, like, market value, then market value. Market deep. value. Uh, I roughly. Let me. I have to look it up. I I know that, like Luna token went from like eighty bucks down to less than one ten thousandth of a cent. Yeah, basically zero. Um, yeah. But so, I, I just want to clear, like, I want to do with the scale of, because, you know, we talk about, like, all these yeah. crazy things that are happening in the token economy with Axie and all this other shite. Yeah. And then we but also I mean, talk in this same sentence about Unity, right, which lost $40 right. billion dollars of market cap. So, yeah, so the Luna um, token went from, looks like, a $34 billion market cap in its peak maybe 30 days ago to a, you know, it's what's interesting is like using market cap, it's still a $1 billion. Oh, but zero. Cap. I mean, for, for all intents and purposes, it's zero. So like unity went from 51 to, to 11. Right. right. So it's kind um, of the same scope, but, but right. different, different markets. Well, and that's, so well, what, maybe, maybe, maybe the token economy is not so bad. Well, and know? that's, that's <laughs> one of two tokens. So the other token UST um, also, evaporated let's call it 18 billion dollars of market cap so combined between the two you're north of, of 30 30 million dollars yeah, crazy of market cap 30 billion yeah, 30 billion crazy uh but we had one of the uh an early investor in terra uh kenrick from play ventures come on and talk about it so i think it was a really good explainer on uh the terra uh collapse and uh hope you enjoy it I can't wait to listen to the dance. I, I love, the, I love the dance. Let's dance around it. You know, spin, spin, spin. I don't think we spun um, it. I, I mean, like, well, you'll hear, and then we'll. All right, I'll listen to it. I, I'm, 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 I'm curious. All right, have a good week, folks. Stay out of trouble. All right. Bye.